This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number seven, Dot Richardson. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim talks with USA Softball Olympic medalist Dot Richardson, who shares her insights on how teammates play a pivotal role in helping athletes bounce back from mistakes and stay motivated. You do have individual moments of performances. A ball, a ground ball hits you, fly ball, you got to catch it. Once when you get it, then you got to throw it. <laughs> you got to throw it to another teammate, and they got to complete the play a lot of times. When you're up to bat, it's you. But guess what? You get a base hit, you don't get in, you don't score, you don't win. So you get a base hit with a runner in scoring position, they score, you get an RBI. That's what we're talking about. Dot reflects on a critical moment in Olympic history when the team had to recover from unexpected losses and how they refocused and rebounded. Dot also talks about how the lessons she learned on the softball field have translated to her professional career as a successful surgeon. Funding for this program has been generously provided by Liberty Mutual. Responsibility. What's your policy? This is Jim Thompson. With me today is Dot Richardson, a three-time All-American softball player, Olympic gold medalist in softball, and uh, just also an orthopedic surgeon. Dot, it's great to have you with us today. Jim, it's great to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. Let's let's jump right into talking about softball. Um, you know, a lot of people say sports is, is uh, a place where lots of mistakes happen, but I think baseball and softball especially are games that are full of mistakes. And it's not a question of being perfect, but of, um, you know, bouncing back from mistakes. What advice do you have for athletes to help them address the issue of making mistakes? Well, I think you're right on. When you look at baseball and softball, to me, what makes the game so difficult to play is not only the skills to hit a moving object with a moving object, and then your opponent has eight other people out there trying to get you out with a catcher behind you making the ninth, um, but and because of those odds against you, the game tr- games truly have a lot of failure, considered by others failure with, built within it, difficulty, if you would. For example, if you're a hitter and you fail seven out of ten times at the plate, that means you do not get on at least first base seven out of ten times. You are not good. You're great. And so when you look at that, when you talk about mistakes, that's why there are errors in a game. I mean, there hasn't been a player ever who hasn't made an error. Uh, when you make an error, you think everybody is looking at you. You, you, you feel like because you, you made the error, you're a failure. You start questioning your, your abilities and who you are, when in reality you learn to grow up, you know, to say, wait a minute, this is part of the game. And it's so awesome to be able to go out there and face challenges, just like in real life, realizing that life isn't easy, it's about tribulations, it's about challenges, and to be able to put it all on the line and know that true success is giving everything that you have in everything that you do, no matter what the outcome, no matter what the score. 
And that is what you learn through softball and baseball. You know, you uh, you told me a story before. I'd love to uh, have you share with our listeners about the 2000 Olympic uh, softball team for the USA. And, and, you know, you lost three games in a row, which was kind of unheard of. Um, could you, could you t- share with our listeners what you did and what the team did to try to get back on the winning track? Well, it's very unusual for the United States uh, softball team to be, you know, to lose. When we went into the 2000 Olympic Games, the United States softball team was 119 and 0. We hadn't lost a single game. So when we got to Sydney and started the Olympic Games, we won the first two games quite easily, and then it happened. We lost against China, we lost against Japan, and then we lost against Australia. Three consecutive games we lost. Well, what ended up happening is after we had lost the third game and had our interviews and all of that, I'll never forget getting in the team bus. Coaches were staring out in space. I heard teammates crying. I saw teammates just looking out in disbelief, you know, wanting to hide. And right before I sat down, I said, okay, I've got to do something. So I stood up in the, in the aisle of the bus, and I yelled, we are living a nightmare. <laughs> and you know the best thing about a nightmare is you wake up. And we need to start waking up right now and start playing USA softball. Play the way we're meant to play. Then all of a sudden, someone said, yeah, bad things happen in three. And that was our third loss, so things are going to turn around. And I said, absolutely. Well, then Lisa Fernandez, one of the greatest players of all time, all of a sudden she said, we've got to cleanse these uniforms. So I'm like, that's right. We've got to cleanse these uniforms. And I was like, Lisa, how do we cleanse these uniforms? She said, we get back to uh, the village. We've got to just jump in the shower and cleanse these uniforms. When we get back, we're going to all get in the shower and cleanse these uniforms. So we get back to our apartment at the village, the Olympic Village, and I saw two of our uniforms that were on the steps where we normally leave them to be washed. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. My teammates didn't believe what I said. Well, they're going to believe it now. I was like, everybody in the shower with your uniforms on now. So we all got in this big handicapped shower. And all of a sudden, we started chanting, win a game, win a game. And then Lisa, who was struggling, hitting and everything, said, get a hit, get a hit. And someone else jumped in there, score a run, score a run. Somebody else, put the bunt down, put the bun down. So all together, we're chanting and just doing whatever we can to cleanse these uniforms. And the two uniforms we had there from the other two teammates, we put them on the floor and just start, you know, in the shower and just started putting soap and shampoo and everything on them. Well, then after the shower incident, I was like, okay, we have a meeting tonight, 7 o'clock meeting. When I walked into that living room where all of my teammates were, I knew things would change. I had a softball. We tossed it to each of us. And I said, when you get it, make sure that you um, – say something positive that you've done to this point. And I knew when we were done with that meeting that we had a chance to come back to win a gold medal when every single player said, I don't care who does it. I don't care who gets credit for it. Let's start playing as a team, USA softball. We came back not to win one, two, three, four, but five games in a row to bring back the second Olympic gold medal in the sport of fast softball 
to the United States of America. That, that's a fantastic story. You know, we uh, with Positive Coaching Alliance, we teach uh, coaches to teach kids a mistake ritual, actual a physical um, motion they make. And one we like is flushing mistakes. So a kid makes a mistake and the coach is yelling at him, flush it, Billy, flush, flush it, Sarah. Um, and it, it really seems to help because um, they've got a way of of cleansing the play the way you did in the shower. What a, what a great story. Thank you. You know, um, another concept we talk about is um, that kids have an emotional tank. It's like the gas tank in a car. And if it's empty, it can't go very far. If it's full, um, you can do really well. Did, did you have some coaches throughout your career, could be at the, you know, the young level all the way through the Olympics. Did you have co- uh, a particular coach or two who were really good at filling your emotional tank so you could perform at your best? Yes. You know, it's interesting because um, in the beginning when an athlete starts, there's a number of reasons why. You know, do you enjoy the sport? Is it because your friends are playing? Is it because your parents want you to do something? Um, and I learned very early that I love the feeling of movement. And I learned that it's not really motivation you should find from someone else. You know, a, you shouldn't look for your true motivation to be from a coach or your parents. You've got to decide what you love to do. And when you are fulfilling your own passion and desire, that that is the most amazing thing. And then when you have others that are around you that are like that and a coaching staff like that, that they you know they believe in you, they don't have to motivate you. You just you want to show them how great you can be. You know what I mean? You want to say, thank you for this opportunity. Check me out. Let's go. You know what I mean? That type of stuff. And I think that that's when, as an athlete, you really have hit the other level, is when that motivation is from within. And you want to surround yourself by others that are the same way. But if they're not, it doesn't matter. You still have a fulfillment of joy in doing what you're doing. Yeah, you know, I think... um... I think lots of kids start sports with the kind of feeling you're talking about, and then they get into situations where they're being criticized all the time by their coach, perhaps by their parents, and not everybody has the, uh, first of all, the good fortune to have really positive coaches, but, but the mental strength initially to keep going, which is one reason we really encourage coaches to, to be aware of the emotional tank and help kids fill it up. Well, I think a coach definitely, um, when they make the commitment to coach, to, is to realize their role is uh, a teacher. And everything they do, everything they say, is soaked up by these athletes in good and bad ways. So they really need to be a good role model um, in their direction. And I do think that you as a coach need to know what motivates your athletes because you're going to have a girl who's only playing because her friends are playing, then you're going to have a girl right beside her that wants to be an Olympian or a professional softball player, you know? So you've got to know what those motivations are. And then your expectations, you treat everyone the same, but as far as respect and your attention and everything, but you have to have your expectations understanding that I can't expect this one athlete here to be like this other athlete because her motivation is different. So I have to learn how to teach her and get help her reach her full potential in a maybe a different way than another athlete who's maybe self-motivated. You know what I mean? So it's a challenge as a coach, but that's what the fun part is. Yeah, it's not a cookbook sort of thing. Uh, coaching is uh, really an art. Absolutely. You know, what What comes through when you tell a story about your your 
individual accomplishment, being part of a team working together uh, made it just so much more valuable than, you know, just your you as an individual player. I mean, that's what's so great about team sports. You know, that's what I love about softball and baseball. You do have individual moments of performances. A ball, a ground ball hit to you, fly ball, you got to catch it. Once when you get it, then you got to throw it. <laughs> you got to throw it to another teammate, and they got to complete the play a lot of times. When you have to bat, it's you. But guess what? You get a base hit, you don't get in, you don't score, you don't win. So you get a base hit with a runner in scoring position, and they score, you get an RBI. That's what we're talking about. So the team, you learn very quickly through sport that, you know, there's uh, something within you that has to grow that wants to commit yourself to what you're doing, whether it's on the field or off, and then a commitment to say, I want to be a part of a team or a teammate that is going to lift my teammates up too because I believe in them and they know that I believe in them. And that's the kind of teammate I want to be. I don't want to be a teammate that is sucking energy from others, that are distracting others during competition, whether it's crying because I made an error or being upset and throwing the bat because I struck out. You know, the, the self-pity, you know, the, you learn very young, I did at least, playing with older players because um, I started at 10 years of age playing on a team where the average age was 22. You know, so I learned in a mature way that it's not about you. Who is your favorite teammate and why, or if it's hard to narrow it down to one, one of your favorite teammates and why was that person such a great teammate? Well, one of my favorite teammates of all times is Lisa Fernandez. And why Lisa Fernandez is because I saw in her not only amazing gifts and talents like all my teammates, but she truly has a passion for the game where we as roommates would even talk about it, you know, after the game. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like we talk about what could we have done better or how this happened or wasn't that awesome. And you know what I mean? We would study the game. And Lisa Fernandez has such an ability that, you know, that she mentally is one of the toughest competitors I have ever met. And uh, her abilities are are like nothing compared to her mental toughness. And she's one of the greatest players of all time. She was told when she was a little girl, she would never be good because she was too short. She'd never be a great pitcher because she's too short. Her arms weren't long enough. And her first game she ever played, she walked 20 batters and hit 22, and their team lost 24 to 0. She was eight years old. And she was determined to be the best she could be. And the next thing you know, she went from this young kid who was told she was too fat, too short, never be great, to one of the greatest pitchers, third basemen, and hitters of all time. Wow. You know, um, I want to stay with the, the team uh, idea for a second, but talk about it uh, in your your work after sports, um, did how did sports prepare you to be a doctor? Well, without a doubt, athletics has prepared me, you know, for my career as a surgeon. Um, and as I've mentioned before, even bigger things, you know, life lessons and how to treat others and respect others and all that stuff. But 
think about it as a surgeon, you're like the most elite athlete because when you are performing surgery, it's not a game. Okay, there's no room for error even though we are human. And think about the operating room. You know, you're just a surgeon. You need your assistants. You need the nurses. You need the anesthesiologist. Uh, you, you know, you need everyone together as a team. And when you get in trouble is when you walk into an operating room and thinking you're all that. And all you can do, and what I learned through sport, is just to be the best you can be at whatever you do. And I think I've said that a number of times, and I can't reiterate that enough. So yep. I try to be the best surgeon, the best doctor I can be. And uh, all you can give is all that you have. You know, one of, uh, one of our themes is honoring the game. We talk about the roots of honoring the game, respect for the rules, your opponent, the uh, officials, your teammates, and yourself. Um, what advice would you, you might have for youth coaches who want to be responsible coaches uh, and want to teach and model honoring the game? Well, one is I commend you for being a coach. Uh, there are so many coaches that volunteer um, to give their time, and that is, like, such a wonderful thing. Um, but I do think it's advice would be to remember it's not about you, that your involvement is to give of yourself for others, and as a result, when you give, to, give of your knowledge and your time and your effort, some of the greatest coaches are those coaches that maybe don't know everything about the game but give of themselves and are true motivators, you know, and, and motivation just by players saying, wow, you know, I, I just respect this coach, you know, and I want to play hard for this coach. Uh, one coach told me his goal uh, and I've actually adopted this as the definition of a good youth coach. His goal was that every kid who played for him would come back to the sport the next year. He wouldn't lose a single kid on his watch. That, to me, is really what it's about. Because I remember having this coach just bragging because, you know, his team was undefeated. And I said, what age group do you coach? And he's like, 10 and under. And I'm thinking, what? You know, 10 and under. I mean, you know, I wanted to say come back to me in 20 years and see how many of your girls are still playing ball because you impacted them in such a way that you gave them such confidence, you know, and taught them self-motivation, and they love the sport so much. Because what happens, I've seen so many coaches, it's all about winning. So what they would do at 10 and under age group, you know, uh, 8 and unders, they tell the girls not to swing at the ball, to take pitches. And so what happens at that age group? They all walk. And so when they all walk, 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 and they get five runs, and okay, you switch the teams, you know, offense and defense. What does that teach? You know, I was so disappointed. He's happy because they won the game, you know, because their pitcher could actually throw a few strikes, but the other pitcher couldn't, you know. I was so upset, and I was upset not – with that coaching style as much as what lessons he's teaching these young girls. Imagine getting up to bat and being told not to swing. Basically, getting up to bat or being afraid to swing. You're teaching these young girls it's better for somebody else to dictate your future. It is better for you to stand there and take it. It is better for you to not try. I mean, come on. You know, it seems like the uh, sports is great for every kid, but 
what you're saying is that it can be especially important for girls growing up. Yeah, I, it's amazing because uh, not all boys are like this, but I remember coming across a 10-year-old boy, and he, he was all bouncing around and everything, and I said, hey, you know, I, I'd seen him play, and he wasn't that great, okay? Hey, how's it going? Great. And you'll ask him, hey, you good? And he's like, I'm great. I'm so good at this. And he's really not, right? But in his mind, he believes it, and he's going to be, you know? Well, you ask a girl who's 10 years old and really good at sports, are you any good? And she'll be like, well, I I, I don't know. I'm okay. And I coached an 18-under team with my husband, and it was amazing because these are some of the greatest high school softball players, 14 years of age and up, in the state of Florida. And I thought the toughest thing I would have in coaching would be to work on their hitting or throwing or, you know, fielding or whatever. But instead I found it was working on their self-esteem. You know, why, why do we as athletes think that our performance on the field dictates whether or not we're a worthy person? You know, I, I don't get that. I, you know, when you fail in sports, it doesn't mean you're a failure. It means you have more to work on. You know what I mean? Yeah, we we even talk about uh, the concept of redefining what it means to be a winner and have this idea of the elm tree of mastery where E is for effort, L is for learning and improvement, and M is for bouncing back from mistakes. And if you give your best effort, if you're learning even though you're getting beat, and if you learn to bounce back from mistakes, you're a winner. And sooner or later, the scoreboard will reflect that. Um, and not to, I love what you said, not to judge your self-worth by how you do on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, I've totally redefined success as being more than just being one run ahead of the other, at least one run ahead of the team or one point ahead of the other team. Because I played multiple sports, you know, volleyball, basketball, softball, track and field, tennis, soccer, you name it. Loved them all. But it was softball that got me to the highest level, you know, playing with the United States and the Olympic dream and all that and scholarship to college at UCLA and on and on. But let me tell you that to redefine success has to truly come from within and you believe it. You know, in today's society, we always think it's winning, 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 or the most money, most money, uh, the highest level of promotion you can get. But I think what breeds a person into understanding true success is what breeds the rest to follow it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you, try, if you know that you can capture or master the basic fundamentals, and from those, you take it to the next challenge of the game, which is the mental aspect of the game. And then through that, being able to learn working with others and, and being able to build a team as being a part of it to reach a higher level because you are a part of it, you redefine success as being the best you can be and giving everything you have at that moment in time. And when an athlete starts experiencing that, Nothing else exists but that moment of doing what she or he is doing, uh, whether fielding a ball, throwing a ball, whether it's base running, looking at signs, hitting a ball. When you are able to totally focus and be in the moment, be one with the ball, sweetness. Let, let, me, let me ask you a little bit about parents because um, when I started Positive Coaching Alliance, I re- really thinking about coaches and athletes. And yet a lot of what we do is working with organizations to help them deal with parents who um, get over-involved, shall we say. What about, how, how did your parents re- respond to you as an athlete? Well, without a doubt, I knew that my parents had an unconditional love for me. 
It didn't matter if I played sports or not. There, it wasn't just words. It was actions. Now, when my, first, my, when my career started, I was 10 years old, and I was asked to play on a women's travel ball fast pitch softball team. The average age was 22. My, when the coach found out I was 10 years old, she almost died, and we had to go to see mom and dad, and they said, yes, I could play. Okay, that's evidence number one. Before that even happened, I wanted to play Little League Baseball because I watched my brothers play, and I was better than my brothers, but I didn't get to play because back then girls were not allowed to play in organized sports. So I asked my mom, I said, Mom, how come I can't play baseball? She said, because, Dot, when you strike out all the boys, the parents aren't going to be able to handle it. Mm. So what did she tell me? It wasn't because you weren't good enough, Right. It, she didn't say, oh, because you're a girl, so sorry you're born a girl and good at sports, too bad for you. You know what I mean? It was like, you're so good that, guess what, they're not going to be able to handle it. You know? So those were magical things that I heard from my parents that I knew at a very young age that they truly believed in the gifts I was given. And they never, ever had to force me to practice. In, in fact, it was always the other way. I'm like, come on, we're going to be late. Let's go, you know. Um, they were always there, even if they couldn't come to all the games. Uh, my dad working so hard, he wasn't able to come to all of them. But when he could, he was there. When my mom, you know, was there, she was there at almost all of them. Um, I always would notice that they always cheered for us. They never cheered against the opponent. That's a huge message. It strikes me that your your parents were honoring the game before that term was really coined. They did not think that if I struck out, it means they were bad parents. You know, they didn't think that if I struck out, I was a bad athlete. Because they know that's part of the game. Guess what? I might have struck out because the umpire made a bad call. I might have struck out because I was thinking of something else instead of seeing the ball pipe down the middle and I should have swung. I might have, might have struck out because I swung and the pitcher had a great pitch. Oh, does that ever happen? Well, yes. Do you know what I mean? Um, they understood the game. And you know what? Even when I retired, they continued to watch the game. And I always was amazed because they knew all the other players. When our team was done in a tournament, they stayed and watched other teams play. You know, they, they respect the game, honor the game. Like you said, they truly enjoyed the game. It wasn't about my daughter is going to show how great of genes that we have that we're passing on to her that's a reflection of how great I am. They weren't, we're, we're going to win at any cost, so we're going to distract the other team, and we're just going to, you know, show them, put them in their place, because our team needs that help. Do, do, that, that, do you have advice for parents whose kids are tr- making the transition from uh, recreational sports to much more competitive sports? Any, any advice there? Well, one is you will know if your daughter or son wants to get more competitive by their skill level and their, um, I guess I could coin it as uh, the mental toughness or mentally challenge themselves. You know what I mean? Like there are some kids that will stay in rec ball because they're the best and they want to be the best and they know they're better than everyone else and they can't handle that other kids are going to be as good or better than them. You know, I mean, there, there's this mental maturity that needs to be there as well. Um, but if you have an athlete that in rec ball all of a sudden starts getting better 
and is like, man, I want to keep playing. I don't want to just play for this two and a half months or three months. I want to keep playing, you know? And then with travel ball comes another commitment that the parents have to have because it costs more money. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you, what I like about rec ball is they have the all-star teams and the all-star teams are kind of like travel ball. Uh, but in softball, there's such a higher level in travel ball that is going to give them so much more exposure for col- you know, scholarships for college and stuff. The, we have the 8 and under, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 under age groups. But I think what's really interesting when you ask that question, Jim, too, is that, uh, you know, at the tender age, it's a parent's commitment, too, you know, of wanting to be there. And if you have to drag your daughter or son to go to practices or, you know, find what they love to do. And I tell players all the time, you could be great at softball, but if you don't love it, find something you love to do, you know, because life's too short, you know. You do things that really turn you on, that, like, makes you feel so alive doing it, that you want to practice and work at it. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question. No, that's great. If, if um, Let's say a parent is concerned about something a, a coach is doing. Uh, what's the best way for them to approach that coach? Wow, good, good question. One thing, unfortunately, that I see is that if a parent is not happy with a coach, they'll pull their daughter off a team and start their own new team. And then someone else pulls their daughter off that team and forms a new team and a new team. So the teams get so watered down with talent, if you would. But you have to really research the teams you're going to. And I think the best thing to do, and it's not realistic, I know, but is to get on a team where the coaches are not parents. You know, because Unfortunately, whether the coach is truly a coach and can separate themselves from being a parent with their daughter or son on the team, the other parents, for some reason, you know, think that, you know, because they're a parent, that they don't respect that parent-coach relationship the way they should. Yeah, even if a even if a parent coach is not favoring their own child, uh, there there may be suspicion that they are anyway. Yeah, it's really weird, and I've seen the other way where the the parent coach doesn't do justice for their daughter. She should have more playing time. You know what I mean? She's one of the best players on the team, but he feels this guilt or what will they say? Uh, and you can always tell a parent coach because they'll be like great coaches for the other players, and, and then a lot of them just start yelling at their daughter or raising their voice or, come on, you're better than that. And I'm like, okay, is that his daughter? <laughs> yeah, that's his daughter. Why does that happen, Jim? I don't get it. They they didn't learn the lesson that your parents learned, which is that how good a parent they are isn't reflected on how well their, their child does. That just seems like such a powerful statement about your parents, that whether you did well or not, they felt good about themselves. Uh-huh. And they felt good about me, you know, and you could tell it. Um, my dad, i got to tell this one quick story. Bases were loaded, bottom of the seventh inning. I'm at shortstop. The ball is hit to me. The runner on second, running to third, jumps over me. One of the first basic lessons you have to learn is to ignore it. But I saw, looked at the runner, got distracted. The ball hit my glove, bounced out of it. By the time I picked it up and threw the ball to first base, it was too late. The run scored. We lost the game. Get in the car, driving home, and I'm bawling my eyes out in the back seat. My dad pulls the car over, and he looks at me, and he says, what are you crying for? He said, Dad, you were there. I mean, I, 
all I had to do was get the ball and throw it to first, and we would have won the game. You know, I would have, you know, would have been gone in extra innings. It wouldn't have been over. Blah 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 blah. He said, "Listen, you either do it when you're on the field or you don't. And tonight, you just didn't do it." Wow, how profound! And I'm thinking, he's right. It doesn't help to cry about it now. I didn't do it. You have to do it when it counts. On the field, prepare yourself for those moments and do it. And guess what? If you don't do it, work hard so you do it the next time. You know what I mean? It it was so profound to me. You know, and my parents never, ever in the car after a game would say, well, how come such and such played more than you? Or, you know, you should be playing at shortstop because you're a better shortstop than that shortstop. You know what I mean? Never. I mean, I don't know why some parents do what they do, and you know they do it because the kid will say things that you know came from the parent. You know, they just they don't usually say those things. So I think the key thing is for parents is to research the team that your daughter or son are going to be on, watch how the coach handles himself. If it's a parent coach and he's a true coach, just like every athlete, there is no such thing as a mom and a dad and a daughter or a son when they're on the field. It's a coach and an athlete, the player and the coach. When a player puts their cleats on, they're there to do a job, and that job is to do the best they can, have an awesome time, just express their talents. The coaches, their job to do, make the lineup, do the strategies of the game, be able to get each player to reach their full potential, and then after it's all done, then your dad and daughter or dad and son, or mom and daughter, or mom and son. You know what I mean? You know, Dot, um, a, a coach once told me a long time ago, and we actually incorporate this into our Positive Coaching Alliance workshops now, if you're coaching your own child, this guy had a cap uh, that he wore, his coach cap, and he would tell his, his child, when, when we're in the car on the way to the, the, the game or practice, I'm your dad, and you're the most important thing to me. When we get out of the car, I put this cap on, I'm your coach. And I have to treat you the same way I treat everybody else. And you have to respond to me just like I was not your dad. Can you handle that? And he said it took care of so many problems because uh, the kid knew I need to treat this. I need to treat my dad as the coach. Get back in the car. Take the hat off. Now I'm your dad again. Just cleared things up really nicely. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I tell you, you have to first learn as a player, no matter what age, that a coach is the coach. It's yeah. like you learn an umpire is an umpire. All due respect to all umpires listening. Umpires are human too, right? They're going to make mistakes. And you learn that. Hey, if a game ever comes down to an umpire's call at the end, guess what? That's your fault as an athlete because you should have made it earlier in the game somewhere else where it wasn't based on one single call by an umpire. But you, you learn early you can't change an umpire's de- decision. You know, their call, if you make them look bad – they're going to become even worse with their calls against you, you know? Well, and also as a coach, it, it gives your, your players an excuse. Well, we don't have to try hard because the, the umpire is against us. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Um, trust me, I've seen some really what bad decisions by umpires. But the greatest umpires, you don't even notice they're there. But it doesn't matter. It's a part of the game you have to have, and you have to be able to deal with it. You can't let all these other distractions, bad calls, a bad coach, uh, uh, an opponent that's just badgering you, uh, fans that are just obnoxious, 
you know, you can't let that distract you. So a coach yells at you. So what? Don't let the coach, don't give that behavior so much attention. It distracts you from being the great athlete you were born to be. You know what I'm saying? I do. You know, Dot, we're, uh, we're near the end of this interview. This has been uh, just so much uh, wisdom. Is there anything that I should have asked you I didn't or anything you'd like to say to the coaches and parents and athletes out there who, who are going to be hearing you speak? Well, I'm just grateful I have the opportunity that you're giving me, Jim, to talk and for them to be able to listen. And if I can share some wisdom through experience, uh, number one is go with your passion. And also, don't be afraid to dream and dream big, you know, and realize that, hey, if you never reach that dream, how fun it is to have the power to dream that it could happen and working hard for the possibility it could become your reality. And that is just so powerful and exciting. And I tell you, all of you that are listening, you have been given amazing gifts. And you know it's a gift when you love doing it. And for many of you out there, it's coaching. And you feel so alive doing it. And remember, the greatest coach is one that looks at each athlete and says, how can I help her or him reach his full potential? How can me being a part of his or her life make her or his life even more wonderful? And a lot of your gifts out there and passion is being parents. The birth of a child and to be there for them and to raise them and to be supportive is so amazing uh, that that is something that, I mean, that child will take with them always. And what biggest role models we have are parents. And athletes respect each other. We are family. We are one. We have respect for each other, respect for the game. And that is so magical and makes it just so exciting. Dot, uh, I really appreciate uh, you as a role model and all the things you've done um, to make sports great. And, and thank you for being part of Positive Coaching Alliance. It's a, it's a pleasure uh, working with you. Well, you're doing wonderful things. And thank you so much for reaching out to coaches and parents. Thank you for listening to this Dot Richardson episode of Liberty Mutual's Responsible Sports Podcast. To learn more about responsible sports, including how to help your youth athlete honor the game, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sports parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music. APMMusic.com. <laughs>